Hey everybody and welcome to the Feminization Boudoir Podcast from Candy Apple Press. I'm your host, Kylie Gable. Uh, we got an interesting podcast uh, this week. We have not one, but two audios. Uh, one one type of book that we've started releasing at Candy Apple Press is called Forced Femme Quarterly. And it comes out, like the name implies, four times a year. And it has a bunch of shorter stories, and they're usually told from a female point of view. And so they don't quite fill up a whole podcast. So today I have two different stories, one from the most recent Forced Femme Quarterly and the other one from the previous Forced Femme Quarterly. The first one we start with is from Forced Femme Quarterly number three by Miss Jen Davis. And it's a 22-minute story called um, Trapped in Brawn Panties or Bullied into a Brawn Panties. And... I'm going to play about half of that for you. And then when we get back, uh, I have Mistress DJ's reading of a story from the last Forest Femme Quarterly called The um, Burglars Brought Panties. So here, without further ado, is Miss Jen Davis and her reading of Trapped in a Brawn Panties or Bullied into Brawn Panties. We always make sure to do something to embarrass you. You're a little worried, because of all the sales this weekend, that you might run into someone you know. But it shouldn't be a problem. Only this time, we have you park outside the big department store. You know the one. Things are a little pricier than elsewhere in the mall, but customer service is the number one priority. And when we walk inside, we go straight to the cosmetics department to begin perusing the creams and perfumes. I pull your wrist out and start using you as a human perfume tester. This is so much better than spraying it on a little card, don't you think? Victoria thinks this game is funny, too, and so she takes your other wrist and starts spraying you with ladies' perfume. Oh, I think this one smells great on you she says loudly, and you can see several sales associates looking over quite uncomfortably and then correcting their expressions, smiling as if it's the most natural thing in the world. It's clear that you're making everyone pretty uncomfortable. They must think you're a sissy. Who else would put up with such nonsense from two pretty girls? That's when I sit you down in the makeup chair. Let's see what we should do, I asked. Nobody in particular. And you start to sweat. You feel it. The wetness under your arms. You think I wouldn't dare do something like this in public, but I do. I pull out a bright red lipstick and begin to clean it off with a tissue. And just then, a girl pops up from behind the counter. Hi, she says. Can I help you with something? My friend here is actually going to be performing in our college's production of La Cage à Folies. He's going to be great, but we needed some help in picking out some makeup for him. You know, he only has the cheapest stuff. So is that something that you could do? Have you ever done a man's makeup before? I asked. Satisfied with my explanation, she beamed. Absolutely. That's no problem at all. It actually sounds fun. What is the costume like? 
It's all over-exaggerated, like on Drag Race. His character is definitely a full-on drag queen, added Victoria. I noticed several of the beautiful cosmetics department saleswomen turned to look at you and snicker. I could tell they were imagining you as a big, ridiculous caricature cinched in a tight, sequin lounge singer dress. Or maybe they're laughing, because I knew you'd probably be a very pretty girl. I knew you were feeling very vulnerable, but knowing that you'd be punished if you didn't go along with the joke, you smiled. Well, you said, I actually haven't been doing this very long. Victoria and I can't stop laughing. <laughs> and the girl about to do your makeup looks back at me a little bit nervously. Just what's your budget for makeup today, she asks. We were thinking between 150 and 200. We want heavy foundation that can stand up under theater lights and also cover up any five o'clock shadow, I said, motioning to your face. Of course, you shaved your face. It's silky smooth. Not much hair grows there anyway. The thought of you with a five o'clock shadow is amusing. A five-day shadow is more like it. Anyway, she studies your face like an artist before she pours some liquid into her hands. She reaches up to your face and begins massaging a perfumed lotion to your skin, explaining the benefits of antioxidants. She takes a few black compacts from the little basket and starts making stripes on your cheeks. She finds one that looks good. You look like your C-34, she says, and writes it down on a little chart with a cartoon face of a lady on it. We'll write down all the products we use here, so you know what to do when you go home, she says, smiling brightly while covering your face with thick pancake makeup until you have a nearly flawless complexion. She reaches for a tin on the counter filled with makeup brushes and pulls out a large, fluffy brush. She finds a corresponding loose powder and dabs the brush in it. Shaking off the excess, it sticks to your clothes. Oh, I'm sorry, she says, beginning to wipe the makeup powder from your shirt. That's okay, I say. Just leave it. She stops, smiles, and laughs. All right, she says, as if she's beginning to catch on to the joke. She dusts your face with flush-colored powder, then pulls out a large tray. Blush, I say. I think maybe something a little over the top. You know his character is kind of a slut, you know. She reaches down and chooses a bright, hot pink color for your cheeks and brushes it on each cheekbone. How about this, she says. Very nice, I say. He's starting to look more and more like a girl every moment. She laughs at my comment. Victoria is playing with the lipstick, and now she's found a bright hooker shade of red. Oh, can he wear this one? asks Victoria, handing it to the makeup artist. She takes the tube from Victoria's hands and holds it up to her face. Yes, she says. This should do nicely. She pulls out another tray and fishes out the corresponding lip liner, sprays it with some alcohol, and wipes the tip with a tissue. 
purse your lips like this, she says, making a fish mouth. You do as she says, and Victoria and I can't stop laughing. She traces the lines of your lips. Can you make his lips bigger, I ask? You know, more voluptuous. Sure, she says, and begins drawing outside of your lip line. Next, I'm going to fill it with a colored pencil. And then we'll use the brush to apply the lip color to ensure long wear. It's also funny. When you look up, you notice almost all of the sales girls you can see are clustered together in little groups, pretending not to stare. But they are. And when you catch one of them, she laughs, <laughs> then turns away. They're all pretty amused that there's a man getting a makeover in the cosmetics department. And now, says the girl in the black dress, we're going to toot your eyes. Hmm, Victoria says, looking over the makeup artist's palette of colors. How about something flashy gold? The woman gets a smaller brush and pours a small amount glittering gold powder into the palm of her hand and begins to expertly sweep it over your eyelids. Now remember, he's in drag, I say, so we want something over the top, but believable. Not a problem, assures the artist. She takes out another pencil, begins to fill in your eyebrows. Something dramatic, I say. We have already been waxing his eyebrows, but we want them to be really good. You're already blushing profusely from our comments when she takes a black pencil and instructs you to close your eyes. She starts to color on your eyelid from the center of your eye to the corner. She switches, moving to the other eye, and it's a strange sensation for you to feel a pencil on your eyelid, but you keep your eyes closed. As if reading your mind, she adds, Not much longer. You hear the familiar sound of the mascara tube being pulled open, and she begins to coat each lash. This mascara is special, she explains. It's got fibers, and it actually lengthens your lashes. She sounds excited, and Victoria and I can't help but laugh. Well, she says, that's about it. You look really good. A couple of the girls that are gathered nearby wander over, and even they can't help but laugh. Everybody's totally having fun at your expense. The cosmetologist hands you a silver hand mirror, and you look at the reflection and stare. You almost don't recognize yourself. Surprisingly, you look pretty okay, even if overly made up. We're in a hurry, I say. We need all of this makeup, except for that mascara and eyeliner. We already have that. Obediently, you take out your credit card and pay for the purchases. I look over and I can see by the look on your face that you can't imagine that you're going to have to walk through the mall in your boy clothes and your face painted full of makeup. No, I say reading your mind. We're not going to leave the store quite yet. They have a very high tolerance for freaks and perverts here. Good luck with the play, calls out the makeup artist. I hope I helped. Oh, said Victoria, he's going to be the best Tootsie's over, and we couldn't have done it without you. 
I thought he was doing La Cage au Fall, she asked. Well, there's always spring, I reply. I hated to end that. There's so much good stuff coming up. A little bit of bondage, a little butt kicking from the girls, and uh, a real, real serious predicament for the little sissy at the end. But we're on to our next story, um, which is called The uh, Burglar's Broad Panties, the story of a couple pet cat burglars, and uh, it's all about having the right tool for the job. Fortunately, in this case, uh, I am going to play the whole audio. It's a little bit shorter than the last one, but it's still a pretty good length story. Hope you enjoy. Here is Mistress DJ with The Burglar's Brought Panties. The Burglar's Brought Panties, written by Kylie Gable and published by Candy Apple Press, copyright 2021. Part of being a good cat burglar is having the right tools for the job. Tonight, those tools were a red cocktail dress that showed off every seductive curve of my body and a pair of heels that cost more than you probably make in a week. You see, our newest target was Arthur P. Bridgewater III. He was a trust fund baby who had made it big on Wall Street, and he had a taste for the finer things that matched my own. Tonight, he was throwing a stuffy cocktail party in his penthouse apartment. It was the sort of party to which we would never get invitations, but looking the way I did, nobody would dare turn us away. Bridgewater loved the ladies as much as he loved his money, and his employees knew that he would want to see us. When I say us, I refer to myself, Selena Hardy, and my partner, both in and out of the bedroom, Maggie Fox. Of course, those aren't our real names, but they're the ones we go by now. One reputation female cat burglars have is being incredibly sexy. I'm happy to say we don't disappoint there. I'm the sleek one. I have long, straight black hair and the body of a world-class athlete. For my work clothes, I tend to wear a latex jumpsuit. Maggie is more bubbly. She's the one with impossibly flowing red tresses and breasts that belong in an art gallery. She deals in information. She is definitely the brains behind the operation. The other reputation that cat burglars get is for being daring. I suppose there's a fair amount of danger in this occupation, but we've never been reckless. I've never broken into an apartment that wasn't completely scouted. I know security, emergency exits, and want valuables to grab before I pick a lock. I saw Maggie in a form-fitting black dress, checking her look in the mirror and kiss the back of her neck. That always drove her crazy. I could tell by the shiver in the spine that it had the desired effect. If you mess my makeup up, so help me. I'm going to call the cops on you myself, she cursed. You know you like it. Besides, it's not like you made up the back of your neck. You look fabulous. So do you, I said. Even if we take this guy for half a million, he's still going to be the lucky one for having us at his party. Naturally, we spent the evening on his arm, ooing and aahing over every little knick-knack that his wealth had accumulated. I seemed to be more his type, so Maggie backed off a bit, even if this was more her specialty than mine. Wow, what a beautiful painting. How much did that cost, I asked wide-eyed before gushing. Say, is that a real Patek Philippe watch? I bet that set you back a pretty penny. It's considered gauche to talk about money at these things, but I'm sure he thought he was impressing me. I learned long ago that when a man thinks he's impressing you, you always encourage that notion. It makes them weak and dim-witted. At 2.30 in the morning, long after the guests had fallen asleep, we returned. At 2.30 in the morning, long after the guests had fallen asleep, we returned. 
Climbing down from the roof, I used a glass cutter to enter the living room stealthily and discreetly. I then opened a window to give Maggie access. She had a rather large bag full of things we needed for the job and wasn't the climber I was anyway. We worked quickly. $300,000 jade figurine? Check. $240,000 watch? Check. $100,000 painting? Now hold on a second. Behind the fancy painting was a safe. That changed things. When a man hides a safe behind something that costs six figures, you know he's got something good in there. Quietly, I pointed it out to Maggie and she nodded. She was thinking the same thing I was. She grabbed a coil of her climbing rope as we paid Mr. Arthur P. Bridgewater a visit. He was asleep in his king-sized bed when I entered his room. He was lying on his side, which would only make my job easier. Maggie is not usually a very physical type. She doesn't need to be. Still, in our line of work, a girl has to know how to protect herself, and she had studied a bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu that came in very handy for those rare occasions when we were caught flat-footed. I was the physical type. I had black belts in taekwondo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and karate. I had studied Krav Maga and grappling, and I even had some amateur Muay Thai fighting. A sleeping billionaire wouldn't pose much of a challenge. I pounced on top of him, and before he could react, I was pinning his arms behind his back. My weight was forcing his head into his pillow, muffling any screams and complaints. Before he even knew what was happening, I had his wrists very securely pinned behind his back, and Maggie was binding them in place. Maggie was an extremely talented, self-trained shibari expert, but this was a simple behind-the-back tie. Pulling his comforter off the bed, I could see that he was sleeping in bikini underwear. I ripped them off him. Men are always so vulnerable when they're naked. Maggie took another length of rope and tied his ankles just as tightly together as she had tied his wrists. Don't bother struggling, I warned him. My partner and host had to tie a knot, and when she ties up a man, he stays tied. What's going on, he asked, confused. You're those girls from the party tonight, aren't you? Damn, he was smarter than we thought, but I'd worry about that later. I flipped him over onto his back. It seems that Arthur P. Bridgewater had a very tiny cock for someone with such a long name, so I made a note to get some pictures of it later. Well, this is interesting, Artie, said Maggie. We need to get the combination to that safe of yours. You seem to be very free with information at the party. So how about it, I asked. What's the combination? Eat a bag of dicks, you filthy bitches, he spat. What a nasty mouth he had. Maggie and I looked at each other, grinning under our masks. This was going to be fun. We left him to flop around on the bed for a few minutes while we set up what we wanted in his bathroom. It didn't take long. When Maggie untied his ankles, he actually thought she was going to let him go. As if, right? Time to go for walkies, I said, as I hauled him up and led him into the bathroom, pushing him down onto the toilet. He glared up angrily as Maggie attached a thin piece of cord that I'd taken from the curtains in the living room to his ball sack. She ran the cord up over the shower curtain rod and attached it to a bucket. I know he was wondering what we had up our sleeves. My amusement at the situation was very obvious, he, and he surely would have bolted if I didn't currently have a hold of the cord that I'd tied around his balls. Maggie turned on the shower, and while most of the spray missed the bucket, a small but steady sprinkle was landing right inside. I couldn't hold my tongue anymore, and I had to explain to him what was happening. As the water hits the bucket, that bucket is going to get very heavy. And guess what's supporting it, I said. The look of terror on his face was enough to cause me to laugh out loud. 
We'll turn it off if you give us the combination. Otherwise, you're going to be a gelding. After making sure Bridgewater was securely attached to the toilet, we left him alone to his fate. We made sure I didn't miss anything and went through his computer. His moans were getting louder in the other room. Thank goodness the penthouse was so soundproofed. Are we having fun yet? I asked upon returning to the bathroom. The look on his face told me all that I needed to know. He was taking shallow breaths like a new mother in the middle of delivery. I gave the cord a quick tug to get his attention. The bucket was only about halfway full, but it was clearly causing a great deal of pain on his red and swollen balls. You can end this. Just tell me what I want to know, I said in my most seductive voice. I realized that he was getting a little excited, and the more excited he got, the more the bucket hurt. Our interrogation soon became a lap dance. I ground back against him and grunted loudly. He moaned as tears rolled down his cheeks, but sure enough, he soon gave me the combination. I'll be right back, I said, smiling in his direction, before leaving him there tied, while Maggie and I rummaged through the safe. As it turned out, the only thing we could really use in there was about $100,000 in cash. I guess every bit counts. Maggie untied him from his bucket, and he let out a huge sigh of relief. His balls were still very swollen as she untied his ankles, and we let him back into his bedroom. You two got what you wanted. Can you please just go? Mr. Powerful Businessman was practically begging us. We'll go when we're ready, said Maggie sternly. First, we want a show. What? He couldn't believe it. You heard her. We're going to have a little fashion show. Or would you like us to go back to the bucket, I said. You wouldn't dare, he blustered. Try us, said Maggie. No, I'll do it, he promised. Now sit back and let Maggie make you into the pretty thing you really are, sissy, I taunted. She gave Bridgewater a glare that let him know not to interfere with his makeover. He was fearful enough of his current situation not to push it. Maggie was a whiz when it came to makeovers, and this wasn't the first time she ever made over a guy. It was just another weapon in her arsenal. I was actually the one to start things by slipping a black satin bra and panties, garter belt, and stockings onto Bridgewater. He had no idea what we were doing, but for now, he cooperated out of fear as much as anything. I enjoyed watching the supposed alpha male wince and squirm as she smoothed the cool liquid foundation over his face and set it with powder. His cheekbones were already high and pronounced, so she made sure not to overdo the blush. She lined his eyes and blended various hues of eyeshadow to really make those eyes pop. With a thick coat of volumizing mascara applied, she curled his lashes before moving on to line his lips and color them with lipstick to give him a bright red drop. Bridgewater sat very still, trying to be impassive, but he could scarcely hide the intense humiliation he felt. He would never be a passable sissy. But Maggie knew what she was doing, and he no longer needed to look like a guy as much as an ugly woman with an unfortunate hairstyle. Once she was done with his makeup, Maggie held up a hand mirror so Bridgewater could see what she had done to him. He could hardly believe the transformation. He had always had a baby face, but had never known what makeup could do to accentuate his features, which were exceedingly soft and delicate for a businessman. He gasped in disbelief at his own reflection. "'You're quite pretty,' said Maggie." I thought you would be. Sit, admire yourself, and I'll go get something to complete your look. When Maggie returned, she had a long black wig with her. Bridgewater was still bound, so of course he had not moved from the spot, but I noticed he was still transfixed by his reflection like Narcissus at a fountain. When he looked up and saw the wig that she was carrying, he groaned, No, 
that's too much. I'll decide what's too much, said Maggie, styling the long glamour wig on his head. This wig has been worn by judges, politicians, and captains of industry. Consider yourself lucky to be part of that heritage. The wig had changed things. Bridgewater had gone from merely feminine to actually looking like a woman, even if not an attractive one. His erection strained against the lace prison of his panties he was wearing, which was not lost on Maggie. Wow, what a perv. I, I look just like a woman, said Bridgewater. Not with that thing in your panties, you don't, replied Maggie, untying him. The wig had seemingly taken all the fight out of him. All right, I want you to reach into those panties ears and shoot your load. What? Why would you want me to do that? asked Bridgewater. Up until now, I don't think Bridgewater had noticed all the pictures that I had been taking subtly of his makeover, but he was beginning to put one and one together now. Look at us, bitch, I demanded. Look at the women who did this to you. The more we ridiculed and demeaned him, the harder he got. I really wished I had checked his internet history because he was probably into some freaky shit, and he was definitely a submissive. Now come. Come for me, right into your hand. He didn't have a choice. At this point, he didn't dare refuse us, so I made him swallow his own load. I could tell from the look on his face that this was a new experience for him. Well, tough. We took him back to the bedroom and laid him on his bed. Then both of us climbed on his chest, back to back, and facing opposite directions. We made him worship our magnificent asses and pussies. Kiss it, bitch boy, I said. Kiss my ass. Soon I could feel him planting little kisses all over my ass cheeks. I do confess that it made me feel very powerful. I leaned back and made him bury his face between the cheeks. Now I was getting wet. Oh, I sighed, switching places with Maggie. The feeling of power was so exhilarating. It was truly an aphrodisiac for both of us. Finally, Maggie leaned back and completely covered his face with her ass. As he gasped for a breath, I told him, The best part is you'll never be able to tell the police about any of this. I don't know if he heard me, as at that moment he was so busy trying to breathe. His sputtering gas for air felt amazing underneath me, and just as he passed out from lack of oxygen, Maggie orgasmed. We left him lying in bed, as if I had just been a dream, loading the things we had taken from him in a large leather bag. Nobody thought to stop us or even look twice at us as we made our way outside, considerably richer. The sun would soon be coming up. It was going to be a great day. Poor Arthur P. Bridgewater. I really enjoyed creating that name. Anyway, wonderful job by both of our narrators. Thank you to Mr. DJ as well as to Miss John Davis. Um, hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Um, I, my hope is that next week we will have a new one from Raina, who we haven't heard from yet this season. And man, I'm, I'm really behind on getting some interviews, so I hope to take care of that soon too. Hope you're having a great time with it. I am really enjoying my new puppy, but I am terrified of how she's going to react when all the fireworks start going off next week. Anyway, have a wonderful week. I'll be here next Monday. I hope you will be too. Bye-bye.